Welcome to a podcast on marketing. I'm your host, Jordan Ogren, and this is a podcast where we talk about marketing. The first question, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, thanks, Jordan. Uh, I'm Brooklyn Nash. Um, I do content marketing for B2B SaaS companies. Um, as uh, Right now, I'm in between transforming from freelancer consultant to agency owners or building up a, a small team under what my wife and I are working on together. Hmm, that's cool. What's the reason for the switch? Is it just time of the life? Is it some some reason that you saw that you want to switch from kind of freelance to this agency model? Kind of two things. One, it became pretty clear that it, we had two paths in front of us, either saying no a lot more than I wanted to, to potential clients and working with some really cool companies or uh, building up a team that, that we can work with to actually execute on a lot of this stuff. And it just see, it just sounded a lot more exciting to, to build a team than to just continue doing all the work on my own. Um, I've benefited from working under, as part of a great team, and I, I, I'm hoping to, to build something similar with uh, what we have going. That's awesome. That's really cool. It's, it's interesting to see sometimes where people kind of, maybe they came from that agency and they want to be a team of one or you kind of were a team of one or two and now you want to take it to the agency. I always find that interesting, the reason or the impetus why uh, some people do that. So what is something, yeah. Brooklyn, whether it's in content marketing, marketing in general, or even life in general, what is something or a few things you're obsessed with lately? Like you just can't stop looking them up. You're just geeking out about this topic, this theme, something you're seeing in the world. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, uh, something that I've been thinking more and more about is the the importance of leveraging data and expert, expert voices in content. Um, so I, I've been freelancing for about eight years uh, in B2B SaaS for about five. And early on, a lot of my focus was SEO. Um, and there's obviously still very much a, a, a role for SEO. It's still very important for uh, a lot of companies, especially if you're self-service. But I think it's a pretty limited view of what content marketing can be. Um, so what I've been exploring more and more this past year is how to take your your expert voices, whether that's your internal SMEs, subject matter experts, or your partners, or your customers, and actually develop content based off of those conversations instead of it starting and ending with the marketing team. Um, and it's a lot easier said than done. It takes a lot more time and effort. It's a higher price point than something like an SEO article, but I think for a lot of companies, it makes a lot of sense. So I've just been kind of diving into what what that looks like on the client side for, for marketing teams, and then also how to best package that up and bring value to teams that would be looking to do that. Um, yeah. What was, or what were some of like the reasons of obviously you kind of illustrated your change or your kind of progression from, you know, writing much more of these SEO, these column listicle, those types of kind of where they obviously rank really well now to thinking, hey, let's get some experts, let's get the customer, let's get somebody else in to kind of have conversational content per se. What was the change? Like what made you start looking deeper into this or thinking this is a better path, quote unquote? Uh, yeah, a couple, probably quite a few things came together. Uh, the, the, maybe the biggest was my role at Sales Hacker, is the community content on um, outreach, uh, and maybe half my job was just being on calls like this with uh, 
you typically other salespeople, sometimes founders, sometimes RevOps people, and just really enjoying that process because I learned a ton and a lot more than I could have by just putzing around on Google on my own or, or reading a, you know, a Gartner report or guide or whatever. Um, so I think there's a lot of value in just learning from others who have been in a particular field for a long time. Um, I just love that part of the role and wanted to continue doing that. Um, the other is I've, I've had the opportunity to work on a few pieces for a few clients over the last couple of years that are very data heavy, where it starts with their own proprietary data and they're using that for kind of a deep dive into a particular a particular area, whether that's advertising trends or how how CDNs, uh, like how much companies are spending on CDNs or um, you know sales benchmarks. It's just a lot you can do with data and it, it's more valuable, it's more interesting, and it's more long-lasting because you can then use that to support a ton of other types of content down the line. Uh, so those are a couple. And then the third, honestly, was probably my internal role at Outreach too. I just loved um, talking to teams outside of marketing and then even outside of go-to-market. I mean, anytime I got on a call with an engineer or somebody in ops or HR, um, we just had really interesting conversations. So uh, that just gave me a glimpse of what those folks have to share that sometimes doesn't often get there because marketing is typically so focused on a persona that may or may not match who who's already working internally in our company. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. Just touching on like the last point, I think it's so critical that marketing uh, gets outside of its own world in that sense. So you kind of talk to sales, talk to product, talk to all these different kind of departments, and even obviously outside the four walls of your own company, as you kind of started with the first point of really talking to sales hackers, it might not have been like users, but talking to people who are using your product or community members and just talking with them, seeing what they're thinking, I think is really key for marketing. And then your second point in between there sandwiched is, the data. And I think that's so interesting, underutilized in the sense of I see only a few companies, at least obviously I'm one person, but like I only see like Gong and a few of these other companies really using their products information because that's a sweet thing with software, right? Is you have so much data because people are using and you can kind of, you know, you might have to think creatively. Sometimes it's not as easy as Gong, but then you can draw out kind of that data and use that to inform the customer and kind of have it be more objective based in the sense of like, these are numbers. It's not just our opinion of like, we think you should do this more or whatever. And I see a lot of like state of the year reports on content marketing by animals or all these different ones. And like your point, then you can build on that year to year or quarter to quarter and look back and say, hey, where have we moved? And I think that's so informational for customers or for audience members to read and engage with. Yep, that's exactly it. Nice. So if you had to describe or define marketing, like what is the job that marketing should get done in an organization? Yeah, that's a loaded question these days <laughs> compared to maybe 10 years ago, five years ago even. Um, I saw, I was, I was just thinking about this when you asked, when you asked the like define marketing question, um, I saw a great visual Somebody tagged me in it on LinkedIn, and I'll, I'll, I can't think of who it was. I wish I could just give the call out right now, but I'll, I'll try to dig it up after. Um, and it was just about how far-reaching marketing can and probably should be. So I think traditionally marketing 
at least core marketing has been about demand gen, uh, audience creation, and then passing leads as MQLs to to sales, and then sales takes over the conversation from there. And that's where those you know sales and marketing silo versus sales and marketing alignment comes has come in, right? Um, but now, especially with I mean, you see, like Gartner has this out of the increasing complexity of the buying process and how little time buyers actually want to talk to salespeople. They want to do a lot more research on their own. They want to talk to their peers. They want to talk to other customers and users and get kind of their, their brain around the full solution rather than having a few conversations with sales and then immediately jumping into a proof of concept or signing up for a pilot project or whatever it is. Um, so I think with all that in place, with kind of this, the buying process becoming more complex and buyer driven, I think marketing has a much bigger role to play than just generating MQLs for sales. So now marketing, whether it's through content or uh, field marketing, customer marketing, they can support the entire go-to-market organization throughout the buying process from top of funnel uh, and demand gen all the way through to uh, customer marketing and, and renewals and upselling and cross-selling. And there's a lot of different ways you can do that, but I think a well-formed marketing team will be able to add value at each of those stages rather than being this kind of separate generating entity right <clears throat> sure sure yeah it's almost transition i don't know if you're aware of like soccer but there's like the i don't want to forward and then there's like a middle field person who goes like to offense and defense it's almost seemed that mm. you know marketing has now went to the full field in that sense and i think i saw a similar one it was like more of like a pyramid isk and it showed marketing stopping at a certain point it's like the old way and then it showed marketing going like further down of impacting mm. stuff um, so it could have been a different visual, but that was also a visual I recently have seen on LinkedIn, just showing like marketing now touches more stuff. Is it because of the complexity in the sales process? That's one thing you noted, like what is, what else is driving this quote unquote change in how marketing kind of how you would approach marketing or its role in the organization? Yeah, I think it's the complexity. Um, well, I, I think people point to the complexity. I think that's Gartner's whole thing is that it's becoming more complex, but it's not just becoming more complex. It's becoming more um, self-served and, and self-driven from the buyer's perspective. Like it needs to be buyer-driven instead of um, sales-led, I guess would be, maybe those aren't antonyms, but um like just putting it giving the buyer prospective buyer what they need um no matter what that is i think it's hmm. like nobody wants to be immediately pointed to a, a demo for example or a discovery call if they're not ready for that so there should be an option for them to be like i'm not i don't want to get on a call with sales just yet but I'm more than happy to receive any resources you have from here to point me to an industry report that will help me get my brain around this complex piece of tech that we're just now starting to consider bringing into our, our organization, right? Um, so I think it's just putting, it's about putting the resources in front of the buyer that will help them make the best decision that they're not gonna regret a quarter or three quarters from now. 
Um, and I think marketing is the, the function to make that happen because they can connect the dots between customer success, product, sales, and every other piece of the go-to-market world. Kind of, like you said, though, that midfielder that can sit in the sit in the middle. <laughs> I'm not a sports yeah. guy, so hopefully that. that <laughs> Me neither. Matches. I could have botched that uh, entire analogy, but no, that's a really good kind of way of thinking. Almost to what you're saying, it makes me think of you know the customer is in charge now. The customer has more control in that sense. So like you're saying, if I don't want to get demoed or I don't want like I control it. Where maybe in the past you couldn't find pricing unless you went on a full demo. It's almost for me, as I talk with some, some of the, like you, other marketing kind of, you know, thinkers, it, it appears that like B2C, you've mentioned, you know, B2B is your background. It seems like because we do so much B2C, we're now in this mode that when we go to B2B buying, we don't really like do the switch of like, oh, I'm now buying a software. I'm buying B2B. I'm going to do it differently. I'll fill out this form before I can see any of the product, whatever that is, where B2C, I go on Amazon. I don't have anybody reaching out to me. You know, as I'm looking through books or whatever, like nobody's saying, hey, you know, our book helps you solve this and that. It's like I can kind of do it on my own. OK, I want to learn more about the book. I go to their homepage, web page. Like it's kind of just like I'm in control of my journey where the past it could have been more of in B2B. They want to force you down our journey or what we think the best process. You, you talk with someone, then you do this, this and that. So it's it's kind of allowing the customer to do what they want and understanding that they're now in charge, which I've heard from Drift and many other companies kind of paving this new marketing lens. Yeah. And you can do that in, I mean, you can, yeah, you can do that in your sequences. You can do that in customer success conversations. You can even implement it in your chat tool. I mean, they're so advanced these days. We just wrote a piece with uh, one of our clients, their uh, demand gen agency, and it was all on kind of your your maturity and using a chat tool and there's like the very basic we're using it reactively for support requests or demo requests and it's like either or it's a it's a current customer looking for help or it's a sales channel to immediately point them to a call all the way through to a much more expert level of using it where you're using the ai in a way that if they're ready for a demo great you can point them to sales and get them on a if they're not and they're just looking into the category or even a little bit further down the funnel looking into the, the tool your specific product you can point them to some some documentation and follow up like use the, and then maybe eventually connect to a person like you can build you can build it in a way that is customized to their experience hmm. all the way to all the, even in your chat tool like when there's so many other tools that, that go to market teams use that that perspective shift i think would be very helpful yeah it ha it can't just be like something you say in a, a meeting it has to be through the tools you use and in all your marketing materials totally totally aligned mm -hmm. with that so you might think this you might answer this question more in the content realm but i'm just going to ask it in general how do you define mm -hmm. good marketing and bad marketing if you had to create the dichotomy and that, you can obviously rebuttal and say it's all in the perception of the perceiver you know but if you had to put a flag in the ground of why do I think some marketing is good and some marketing is bad? What is your rationale for that? Yeah, it'll definitely be colored from the content lens because there's a play. There's well, now I'm prefacing it before I actually answer, but let me preface by saying there's a time and a place for uh, you know immediate action, direct response type CTAs where it does make sense to have a you know 
book a demo type of approach. But I think in general, good marketing will immediately, good marketing will allow the, the audience or the prospect or the buyer to immediately identify themselves in what you're talking about. Um, whether you're talking about pain points that your product solves, um, whether it's the processes that they run through that maybe have been manual in the past that then they can optimize or automate even with your product, they'll, they'll be able to recognize themselves in, in your content. And that runs from, you know, a deep dive how-to to your, your case studies uh, and customer stories where it's your opportunity to allow themselves to identify themselves and what you're talking about, right? Um, not so great marketing will pretty much always point back to the product instead of the pain point and the process and the needs of the buyer, right? Um, I mean, you talk about the copywriting, it's, it's all about highlighting benefits, not features, right? But that morphs over to content and it, content covers any pretty much any type of marketing you're putting out. It's not here's how our product solves for X, it's here's how this customer is taking X to the next level, or here's how we've done it on our team, or here's some guidance to get you going on how to optimize your process. There's like a million different ways to go about it, but it's about setting the buyer up for success versus pointing them to your tool, right? Hmm. Yeah, for me, when you were talking, it's, it pretty much comes to a dichotomy of customer focused or product focused or company focused. And, mm -hmm. and really, when you're customer focused, you're not going to write or create marketing that's just highly kind of, you know, all about your product mm -hmm. without kind of tying it to them through, as you're saying, you know, case studies, benefits, all these things. And at some points, you know, features, depending on if it's a super technical product. But like, regardless, I'm kind of creating that dichotomy that bad marketing is kind of very product focused. I don't know if it was Ann Hanley, but I read somewhere uh, that, you know, when you're doing your marketing, it should almost be that the person getting your marketing is like, man, do they have my journal? Like they just know my intimate thoughts, kind of my, what keeps me up at night is cliche as that is, but like, they really understand me, as you said, they get me. And I think that's what really good marketing. So for me, like some company that's selling like nail polish or like women's stand, like I might just for me seem like bad marketing because it's like, that's not like for me, but the person they're writing to is like, oh my gosh, like they know exactly what I feel and all these things. And I think that is why it's very contextual, but I think you can really break it down to within the con context, it needs to be around that customer, that person, and really know them intimately well, as weird as that sounds using the word intimate with like a yeah. random person. Yeah. I like that journal um, analogy because that's, that's about it. Which also, I mean, it, good. that means good marketing has to be focused, which typically also means it should be persona-driven, which means if it's persona-driven, you have to be actually talking to your customers and what their pains are so you can actually create informed personas instead of pulling them out of a hat, right? And you're choosing the top people you want to be speaking to. I mean, you might have a whole range of stakeholders that you're talking to, but it's difficult to create content for all those personas, let alone have a focused marketing effort by plugging that content into your demand gen efforts and your paid and your field marketing and what have you. 
if you're not prioritizing who those personas are. And it could be uh, it could be a whole range. Like you could have the, the decision maker as like your CIO, and you could have the, the business user who's your product analyst or business analyst on both ends of the org. But just figuring out where the focus should be across that spectrum. Yeah, no, I would say bad a lot of bad content is trying to hit all of those personas or it just, you know, it just wraps everybody that could use the product into the whole post. So it's like, I don't know if, you know, as like you just said, the product user or as the person who's going to purchase it, like it should be written uniquely to them, which then brings up a question in my mind. I've seen a lot of content, not against personas, but just the fact of creating these kind of created, you know, kind of culminations of people isn't helpful. And it's good to actually visualize one person, like a real person when you're writing content you're thinking about marketing what do you think about that do you push back against that clause or do you kind of agree that when you're creating content you should have as close as you can get to a real person you're writing that content or creating that marketing for or do you stand by personas being kind of a group of images of people tim you know he's 35 in the sales department what are your thoughts on that i mean i think it's still a helpful tool i with my business side size we're we can picture a real person. Like we just went through this last week where we went through our current customers and talked about who our ICP would be based off of who our ideal current customers are. And I had a handful of real people in my mind and, and talked to my team about that. But we're a tiny little shop. But if you're scaling a $100 million plus ARR SaaS product, that it's, it becomes a lot more difficult to document that. So I think personas are still a very, <laughs> still a very useful tool as long as they're not, I think sometimes personas can be just almost purely made up. But if you don't put in the due diligence ahead of time where you're like, Oh, this is, we're selling to the CFO. So they're, you know, typically they're going to be 50 years old. This is what they care about. Here's what their life looks like. Um, and honestly, pulling things that feel irrelevant, um, like the personal value side or what their life looks like outside of work. And sometimes those things are irrelevant compared to getting very hyper specific about what their pain points are, um, what they're looking for, what's important for them. So it's just, it's not that personas aren't, buyer personas aren't helpful, it's that a good portion of buyer personas can be unhelpful if you're not basing it in real research yeah no that's good that's important to touch on because you know if you use like a hammer to try to like fill a hole or something like it's going to probably just cause more damage so it's not the tool that it's how you use that tool so i think personas can be very useful if you get concrete if you get definitive but i think where i've seen them fail is very fluffy they're just some you know picture of someone it's sally 35 and it's like well it doesn't really help to your point you know i need to know what is their life like what are some psychographics okay demographics are great we love those but like what do they believe? What do they think? What do they, you know, dislike and all these things? And I think that's where personas have value. I was listening to a podcast with Ann Hanley. I bring her up way too much, but uh, she talked about how she wrote her book. Everybody writes for her neighbor. Like she saw the neighbor, she worked as like a BDR, just some like business rep. So she needed to like do a lot of writing and whether in presentations and sales emails, whatever. So she wrote that whole book with that person in mind, obviously probably taking concepts that she's learned with other people, but she, and even at her level of 
50, 40, however many thousand followers she has on her newsletter, she still says, you know, every newsletter is written to one person, whether it was a question mm -hmm. somebody asked or whatever. So I think to your point, for sure, it breaks down as you scale a company. You just have too many customers to write to one every time. But I do think mm -hmm. there is, as long as you can try to hold on to it, or if you have to use personas, to your point, make them definitive, make them actually accurate and like, value adding is like uh, cliche as that sounds like make them actually helpful in your marketing rather than just like all these HubSpot created ones from their template, which is yeah. a good start, but you got to take it a step further. Yeah. And even if you have the first songs documented, like that's an individual action that an individual content marketer or copywriter or demand gen marketer or product marketer can take is let's take a persona and let me try to think of something specific. Cause I think that's true. I, I think it's true no matter what kind of writing. One of my favorite books is, on writing by Stephen King, um, which is pretty much all about fiction because he's mostly a fiction writer, right? But there's so many lessons in there that apply to pretty much any type of writing. And he said the exact same thing. He said, when you're writing, you think of somebody specific in your life, whether that's your spouse or your brother or a parent or a child that you're writing for, and, and then continually ask yourself if they would like basically like what you're writing um and that's really kind of his guiding light and it's, i mean it's worked out for yeah. Stephen king so why not <laughs> be marketers yeah no i've read uh too many books on writing and and that's a very consistent theme as much as like i wanted to push back on the notion i just kept seeing that silver lining of like writing to someone visualizing them as as picture clear as you can so you really are writing to someone rather than like hey all you know, I wanted to yeah. write you like nobody, you know, like I hate when I see that in newsletters, but it's definitely like a first step. You got to, you know, do it. But then once you want to go further with writing, with content created, I think that's that's kind of a good thing to do. What is uh, to jump to a negative uh, topic? What is a failure or a mistake you've made, whether in your career, doing what you're doing now, further back that, you know, you look back on now and you're obviously not like grateful or thankful it happened, but you're like, hey, it helped me. Like I'm better off today because of that failure mistake. Does any come to mind for you? Quite a few. Which one do I choose? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um. Probably the biggest, and this is more relevant to kind of the business my wife and I are creating now. We, so I've been freelancing for over eight years. Um, a few years back, I, I think I tried prematurely to grow what I was doing um, by bringing on subcontractors and focusing on the strategy ends and then working with them as kind of their editor. And it just didn't work back then. Um, and I think for a few reasons. I think my price point wasn't right, so I wasn't charging clients enough to be able to pay contractors enough, which meant I wasn't able to work with the, the best or better contractors. I was working with those who didn't have that much experience or weren't putting that much effort in um, because I was probably because I wasn't paying them enough. Um, and tried to kind of jump right into it instead of laying the groundwork with Here's what the client brief says. Here's our writing guidelines um, that inform that. Uh, taking time to kind of build them up to a place where they can they could execute at a, the same level as as I was. Um, so it just it uh, it led to not great work for some of my clients. Um, honestly, we lost one of one of my clients uh, not as a direct result, but around the same time. Um, 
and it just I don't know it, it, so we took a pause from that for a couple of years um, and over the last couple of years I've been focusing on um, getting consistent with what I getting consistent and specific with what I do um, sorry let me back up getting consistent with what I do and getting specific about what I don't do um, so even as early as as soon as you say that oh gosh uh, as recent as a few years ago, I was doing kind of a lot of different stuff, like social media here, some copywriting strategy, long form stuff, um, emails. So over the last few years, I've gotten a lot more specific with saying no to all of that and focusing in on long form content for a variety of channels and in a lot of different verticals, but just this one type of uh, deliverable, basically. Uh, and then alongside that, bringing some consistency with the questions I'm asking clients, uh, making sure I have what I need to be successful, whether that's buyer personas like we talked about, list of competitors, um, their, their expectations and guidelines, so that we start off on the right foot instead of having to backpedal. Um, and now I'm able to take those conversations and the foundation we have and translate that to the team of contractors we're working with now. Um, and getting to the point where I, I mean, I'm able to charge clients more and establish more long-term projects um, because I've proven that value, uh, which means I'm able to pay our contractors more and, and treat it more as a, an investment mm. versus something reactive. <clears throat> mm, that's good. That's good. I mean, I obviously have not uh, tried to run my own, even freelance. I've had like two, three clients in my life, so uh, not too many, but I feel like that's a kind of a, at least from what I've witnessed, maybe like a kind of thing that happens in consulting is you just, you're good at something and you do all the things around that something. And then you start to realize, Hey, I need to, as you're saying, I need to say no to more things, not niche down, maybe niche down, but kind of start to figure out what is that, that I do really well at. And I think you have to have time to be able to actually have the luxury or the privilege to say, I'm only doing X where sometimes you're like, oh, I got to take whatever I can get to put food on my table, you know? So mm -hmm. I think that's a interesting for me as someone who thinks long-term about maybe doing freelance or maybe doing, you know, kind of work with companies. It's really interesting for me to just hear uh, that um, kind of your progression. So I appreciate you kind of sharing that with us, having the vulnerability to kind of open up about that. I like that. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I don't think it's unique to me because I think freelancers in general have this, um, what's it, uh, what is it? Feast or famine mode, where it just leads to saying yes to everything. Because you're like, what if I'm, you've been freelancing for eight years successfully, but you still have this niggling thought at the back of your mind, like, what if I never get work again? So I have to say yes to everything. But then, to, like, mm -hmm. if you're, I've said before, if you're a freelancer, you're a business owner. So this isn't just for those looking to scale, but if you're looking to increase your income as a freelancer, I think it's about taking more of a business owner mindset. And getting specific about those things so that you can optimize where you're spending your time. It's like the the services equivalent of product market fit, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. What as you have a lot of experience with content marketing, what are some skills that you've either had to hone yourself or maybe you naturally had that you see get flexed in 
creating content, what are some of those skills that someone could obviously try to optimize for to be a better content marketer, which then I'm going to obviously just parallel that to probably become a better marketer in general. Do any kind of pop into your mind? Yeah, I think the one immediately comes to mind, but I haven't been able to come up with a name for it. So maybe you can help me with this is, um, this has helped me as a freelancer it helped me in my role as a community content manager as I was working with contributors like we were talking about it's helping me with expert interviews is being able to take in the big picture and basically like an information dump whether it's you know a huge data set or uh, an hour-long conversation with a highly technical person who's just super passionate about what they work on and just kind of they can just talk a mile a minute for uh, for an hour about their product or data or whatever it is they're talking about. So being able to take those pieces where there's just way too much information to actually put into one piece of content, whether it's an ebook or a thought leadership piece or a pillar page. So taking that very broad and deep uh, set of information and knowing what the end result needs to be and then figuring out what you need to do in the middle to map that out and sort through what is it, the important kernels to pull out, the thread to pull on, um, and then how it weaves all together. Um, because I think, yeah, honestly, I think that's what has served me best um, because I can sit and have a hour-long conversation with an engineer and even though I've never been a you know a front-end engineer or back-end engineer or worked on on SQL I can take what they're talking about and understand that like pull out kind of like visualize an outline in my mind from what they're talking about and which pieces to revisit um, so I don't know what, uh, there's I don't know what that is it's like <laughs> the synthesis of information or something like that yeah yeah, that, that's the first word that came into my mind was just being able to synthesize, you know, so you get this huge load of content and you're able to dump it to the, the bare essential pieces. But but as you were explaining it, it kind of started to break the bounds of that word. And another word is almost like architect, mm -hmm. you know, like they need to be able to do architecture of, okay, taking this and then what are these points of the building that we're going to build off of. And I may not build the building, but I'm able to take this, hey, I want it to look like this. I want it to X, Y, and Z. And then you synthesize that to be able to architect. So it's almost like architectural synthesis or like some like crazy word, new category we'll create. But yeah, no, I totally think that's valuable in what have you done or what have you, what has allowed you to get better at that? Or is it just an inherent skill that you've always had? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I think it's one of my skills and I don't have many, so I'm grateful for that. Uh, but something that helped me get better at it um, was what I, I mean, what I said earlier, just spending a lot of my time working with uh, contributors and community members in my previous role um, on highlighting what those things are for them. So one of my favorite, one of my favorite pieces of the job besides being on face-to-face -face calls was we'd get drafts from contributors um, who are very experienced in sales and have a lot to say on it, but aren't necessarily writers by trade, right? So I'd look at the draft, I'd get it in my inbox, open it up, spend 10, 15 minutes 
And instead of jumping right into editing mode where I'm like, oh, we, this is awkward phrasing, let's switch this around. I just took it in from a big picture. And then my first round of feedback to them was <clears throat> just a list of bullet points in an email back to them saying like, okay, you mentioned this here, can we go deeper there? Or this piece way down here feels like it's pretty off base with what the core of this article is supposed to be about. So I think we actually cut that and instead go deeper at this piece you mentioned up top. Um, or this list, of, even, this list of bullets you include, like I think there's a lot of meat there. Can we expand those into subheaders to the article? Um, just like giving them big picture feedback on what the, like you said, the architecture of the, the piece of content should be. And that was just a lot of fun. And I think it did make me better at it over time because then I could more and more quickly identify what was working and what wasn't about each piece of content. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. Thanks for sharing. Something that comes to my mind when you're talking about that is just understanding the basics. So rather than jump right into editing grammar, um, you kind of understood, or maybe you didn't understand, but like for me, I think editing has a process. Like the first sweep, it needs to be very kind of like, you know, about the flow, you could say, but it's really like you were kind of mentioning, you're looking at it to say this section, like we just need to remove it, or this needs to go up top. So you're being that kind of high level person architecture, you're moving things around. So it's almost like understanding, having just a basic understanding of whatever you're doing to be able to kind of come into it with that understanding of, hey, I'm going to do this. Then the next step, I'm going to kind of do sentence structures, going to kind of fix any sentences. And then finally, I'll do grammar. Mm -hmm. So it's having like a, a way of understanding called practical thinking, but you can understand what needs to get done in the whole thing of the whole scheme of whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. And then another thought popped into my head is uh, I read in a book, it, it titled it kind of this kind of thinking from the basics as this kind of contrarian optimism, optimistic contrarian as someone who, you know, we never, I never take assumptions or these kind of beliefs, but I go right to the basics and I kind of build my thinking from the base, the base rather than from this. And that takes, you know, the time to step back and have that 10,000 uh, foot view. So as you were talking, my he head is kind of rambling of like, oh man, all these different things that I've read or thought of kind of coming into one skill that I think, you know, content marketers, but marketers in general really need to have. And uh, one thing that's helped me is just reading tons of different books. Obviously, I'm a reader, so like I like reading books, but kind of opening up my palette and reading at one time, like three to four different books mm -hmm. and almost letting their ideas like intermate together. And, oh, I never would have had this idea if I wasn't reading this book on grieving and also this book on copywriting and marketing or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then that allows you just to always kind of go to the basics or have a higher level view mm -hmm. to then drive in deeper if you need to. And I think that was something that popped into my head as you were kind of talking there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think reading and input is super important for better output. Um, and beyond just, like if you're a marketer, beyond talking to other marketers or just reading marketing books, like if you're a marketer, read a sales book, read lots of fiction, um, <laughs> talk to engineers and, and, yeah. and your product team and uh, data teams to kind of open up your horizons a bit. Yeah, well, damn it. I, I wish we could keep going forever. This is a great conversation, but I do have three questions I always end with, and I want to make sure we have sufficient time uh, for those. I always enjoy these answers. So I'm going to ask you three final questions. 
two questions are heavily related to kind of everything we've been talking about. And one is going to be a little bit off base. So mm-hmm. I'll start with the first two that are kind of on, uh, on point. So what is one thing you've changed your mind on in regards to marketing, content marketing over the past three, four, five years? So five years ago, I believed, you know, content should be produced at a hundred pieces a day. And now I believe quality content is key. Like, what is that for you that you've changed your mind on or pivoted your thinking around? Yeah, uh, I think the biggest is the role of SEO. Um, I would, four or five years ago, when I would come to a client, I was, I mean, I was a, I was always a, a what is it, a hammer, or I always saw the need for a nail when maybe there wasn't. Um, I think SEO makes a lot of sense in a lot of cases, but it doesn't always make sense as a primary channel for content. Um, if you're yeah, if you're coming into a crowded space and have a complex tool with a pretty high ACV or deal size, uh, maybe you explore, maybe actually paid will be make more sense and you can drive that via content um, or investing in thought leadership. Um, SEO doesn't always have to be the first thing you invest in. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense for self-serve, uh, lower price point tools to get up there quickly and it I still very much believe in its value um, but there's a lot of other pieces and I think lots of folks I used to and I think lots of folks still equate content with SEO or content marketing with search and that's just not always the case hmm. I'm just in my head. I'm yelling as you're saying that preach. I I definitely agree with your thinking just on regardless of the fact of SEO, but I think a lot of us go from an absolute thinking, not maybe yours was an absolute, but it's content is always the play, Mm -hmm. like whatever that absolute is. And as over time, you see different use cases, you start to kind of understand the basic thinking and you're like, maybe it's not always the way and you need to think differently to apply it. Like you were talking about the hammer and the nail, you know, uh, which takes critical thinking, which obviously is a skill hard to come by at times, mm-hmm. um, just in general, mm-hmm. is to really think about stuff rather than just doing it. Cause there's millions of things I do every day that I don't think about. Why do I, you know, do this before this? And when you really start to think about stuff, you'll yeah. obviously make better, you'll live better. Um, and relating that yeah. to marketing is a wide stretch, but and it's just, yeah, absolutely. And I know this isn't pointed directly at freelancers or agencies, but I think that's been a big shift too, is because it, it, it's led to me on discovery calls telling somebody, actually, I don't think we're a good fit for you because I think you should be doing X, Y, Z and not ABC. Um, and I think that helps build trust over time because then instead of them coming to me and saying, this is what we want. And you saying, okay, great. It's, 10k a month when you can i'll invoice you next month it's actually maybe you rethink that one because uh because here's what my here's what i'm thinking on it and i can refer you to some other folks where it maybe does make more sense to work with them um so i think that's definitely benefited my relationships uh in the last couple of years yeah, no, that's definitely a good tip for anybody that is, you know, doing kind of a specific consulting or freelancing and sometimes it may not be best. And that'll probably um, help you long in the long term, in a sense, to say no, which ties back to what you were saying way earlier about saying no more mm-hmm. to things. So that's cool seeing the intertwined. Mm-hmm. Next question. There's a movie, um, whether you watch it or not, I'll give the, the two to three listeners kind of some context. It's called Inception. It's all about they go into the brains of people mm-hmm. in their dreams and they incept ideas. So they wake up and it's like, oh, I want to sell my company and that was my idea so if you could accept one idea in the mind of every marketer on this planet so they wake up tomorrow and they believe this idea is theirs and they act it out in their actions what is that idea you incept 
Ooh, wow. I mean, I could go like the strategic route, but I, I think I might have to get a little wonky with this one. Um, because it's something, so my wife and I, like a little bit of context here. My wife and I come from the nonprofit space and then now we're jumping into B2B tech. And there's just like, there's just a lot of BS in B2B tech and like the, this belief that that which is like building the, like the latest, greatest thing that's like changing the world. And I just like, I'm sorry, but it's like, it's often not the case. Like I, and now I'm sitting in this role where I'm helping software companies sell software to other software companies. And I have this, this disconnect between what I value and what I believe and what I want to put effort into and what I enjoy doing and what I get paid a healthy amount to do. And, and this is my career. So I feel like if I, it's, a, it's such a big question. It's a good question. <laughs> With such a big question, there has to be a bigger answer. And I, I would say concept and idea, it would be that we have a responsibility to figure out how to actually improve the world with what we're doing. And that doesn't always mean like launching a, a product that helps address homelessness in, in the U.S. or provide donations to a different country. It doesn't have to be always as direct as that, but I think it does mean taking a step back and seeing where you can help others, whether that's in progressing in their career, um, mentorship, um, donating directly. Like if you're in tech, like you're almost automatically in most cases making a ridiculous amount of money for what we do. Like it just, it's just totally unfair and ridiculous a lot of times. So like, even if it's just figuring out yeah. what you're passionate about and giving money there or your time there, like just take a step back and realize that we're, we're very lucky to have a career in, in B2B tech marketing um, and just start thinking about where we can, where we can get back. Hmm. That's deep. That's deep. It's so true. I feel uh, many times, especially in the past, it's been profit driven, but I see a need in an acceptance of kind of what you're talking about is, you know, how do we help the world be a better place? And yeah, there's, you know, initiatives, uh, zero kind of emissions, all these kind of easier, quick ones, but there's a lot of things you can do as a company to just be better to your employees, even mm -hmm. like, do we work 55, 60 hours a week or do we have Fridays off or yeah, no, I love that. That, uh, that goes to the core of kind of a lot of the stuff for the companies I follow, the reasoning why I follow them is they're just trying to make a net uh, pro net value, like an ad to the world rather than most companies are like, our product's the greatest, it's all about profit. And I think that's sometimes uh, detrimental uh, in the long run, especially in, in, like you said, obviously if you come from a background with nonprofit or with mission driven, it's really hard then to like look at it and, and not. So sometimes I think it's a, it's a real big mental shift or just kind of what do you value in life? Uh, so yeah. that'd be a, that'd be a great world. I would love uh, living in that world with all marketers valuing the greater good than uh, just kind of making our product right, uh, right. be the number one or yeah. whatever. And it's something we're really yeah, like that. Too. All right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's no easy answer. All right. Final question is what is one thing outside of business and marketing that you do that helps you when you come back to business and marketing? So for me, it's meditating, you know, every morning it's about 20 minutes on the mat. So like, what is that for you that helps you do business and marketing better, but isn't business and marketing? Hmm. That's a good, good question too. Man, ended on the, the three probably hardest questions to answer. <laughs> uh, I, <sighs> Honestly, I think that 
the thing that comes to mind first is when we talked about reading before, I read a lot of fiction. I rarely read business books or marketing books or copywriting books. Um, I read a, a lot of fiction and then a lot of uh, memoirs and biographies. Um, and I think that honestly helps me mostly because at the core of what I do, I'm a writer, even if it's for demand gen or product marketing or what have you, it's, it's about the writing. Um, so just kind of through osmosis gives me new words, new perspectives. It also refreshes my brain. Like we're talking about meditation, like it's actually just genuinely enjoyable. Um, and if I'm into the book, I'm not thinking about work directly. Um, so I think just, yeah, taking that space to have that input, not always be business oriented or marketing oriented. It's really helped. Yeah, that's the second time I heard that, you know, put down the damn business books and go get you, you know, Harry Potter or some sort of other book that allows you to, you know, just kind of what you're saying is disengage, you know, unplug from business marketing for however amount of times so when you come back, you've allowed thoughts and things to kind of work on their own rather than always, you know, fixating on, I have to read this new book by Mark Benioff, mm -hmm. but if it's an autobiography or something, memoir, yeah, feel yeah, free, yeah. but no, uh, no, that's good. <laughs> that's good. I like that Brooklyn. Okay. This last section, I kind of just open up for you to share anything that you want. I know you're on LinkedIn quite frequently. I love following you for your content. So if there's anything outside of that, you'd like to link to the three to four listeners still here with us, feel free to take the stage. Uh, yeah, I'll just say LinkedIn if you're on LinkedIn or Twitter if you're primarily on Twitter. I'm on both, so um, feel free to connect, um, follow, send a DM, whatever. I'm, I'm around. I'm always up for uh, these types of conversations with, uh, with other marketers and, and especially freelancers because they come from that world, so feel free to reach out. Awesome. And those will be in the show notes. Thank you so much, Brooklyn, for coming on. This was a splendid time. I had so much fun. Me too. Thanks, Jordan. Yes, this is the end of the podcast.